I'm Roy Sharples and welcome to the Unknown Origins podcast. Why are you listening to this podcast? Are you an industry expert looking for insights? Are you growing your career? Or are you a dear friend helping to spur your pal on? I created the Unknown Origins podcast to have the most inspiring conversations with creative industry personalities and experts about entrepreneurship, pop culture, art, music, film and fashion. Henry Ford changed how people lived and moved around by making cars affordable and accessible to everyday people and driving the world forward to a greater good. Gulam Razul is a design leader responsible for growing design within enterprise connectivity and mobility at Ford of Europe, where he is on a purpose-led mission of navigating toward an electric, autonomous and connected vehicle, empathetic to benefiting society with improved safety, less pollution, freeing up time and customised services and experiences enabled through intelligent technologies. Hello and welcome, Gulam. Really appreciate that. And likewise, it's good, it's good to hear that voice again. So what inspired and attracted you to product design in the first place? I've had a career in Ford now of nearly, well, over 24 years now, right? Um, and it's, it's a couple of things. You know, the industry's been evolving. Um, the world's been evolving. Um, and I just got really lucky that um, um, an opportunity had come up um, in our uh, enterprise connectivity and mobility area um, where um, the team needed someone um, that was going to basically grow our design capability. So we had some teams that had product designers within them. Um, it was recognized that, you know, taking a human-centered design approach and um, asking, um, guess what, asking people what they want uh, or what their problems are and trying to resolve those problems and provide them with the right solutions was actually really effective. So um, we needed to do more of that. You know, we're already working in agile product teams, um, and I got the opportunity to, um, you know, come along and um, uh, help grow that capability. And one of the things that kind of happened at the same time, or you know, like a, a background to this is, you know, the things that are happening in the world out there that kind of really resonated with me. Um, that kind of helped me think. Well, there's some. There's some challenges out there. Um, there's things that are happening out there that um, you know we you know we can't ignore. So things like you know urbanization is happening on a really rapid scale. Um, I think it's estimated that two thirds of the world's population are going to live in urban areas by 2050. So space accommodation is and will become even more of an issue in major cities. Um, you know, the growth of mega cities, right? That those are cities that have more than 10 million people in them. Um, the three largest of those are in Asia, right? Tokyo is 37.5 million people, right? Wow. Delhi, um, 28.5 million people. Um, actually, I think it might be more than that. It might be closer to, you know, mid 30s by now, right? Um, London has now also got over 10 million people, right? In 1815, London was the largest city in the world. And if you think, right, all of these other um, mega cities have grown all around the world and they're going to continue to, to, to do so, right? Um, I think something like only 30% of people lived in urban areas in, in 1950, right? So with all of this happening, less people are learning to drive. There's less housing being built with parking or access to parking. So that was one, you know, really kind of uh, important thing that was happening. And then another one, um, there's a couple more that I'd like to kind of mention if, that, if yeah, that's okay. If of course. Time. Um, climate change, right? And the scarcity of resources, right? Um, it's on all of our minds and we've all adapted our behaviors as consumers uh, as a result of it. But if predictions are correct, um, by 2100, the average surface temperature of the planet is going to have risen by 5.8 degrees, right? Celsius. Um, that's huge, you know. Um, we're already seeing, you know, extreme weather. We're seeing crop failures. We're seeing wildfires. Uh, we're seeing destroy, destroyed natural habitats and energy shortages. Um, it's almost like an everyday occurrence. So that's another thing that, you know, we can't just carry on uh, in terms of uh, human beings um, and our our behaviors and how we consume, just just carry on like that uh, as we as we have done before. And then, you know, some of the other, um, you know, uh, trends in terms of technological breakthroughs, Roy, you know, some of the industries that 
we've worked in, right? Um, and and you know, technology and and the ways that uh, technology is touched by these industries, right? So if you think about machine learning, if you think of AI, um, machines are already learning faster than humans, right? Personal data is now a hugely valuable commodity. Um, and if you think about automation, right, nearly two thirds of occupations could see a third or more of their you know, kind of activities being automated in the future. Um, so that's that's happening. And then if you put into that, the final you know part of, of these trends I want to talk about is um, demographics and social change that's happening, right? Um, the global population could increase by over 1 billion people by 2030. And by 2050, a third of the population of 55 countries is going to be over the age of 60. That's going to have massive implications of how we live as human beings, how we consume, right? There could be labor shortages, you know, the extreme demands on healthcare, the different type of living conditions and, um, you know, transportation uh, conditions and needs, right? And, and, and changing consumer demand. So, all of that happening and having some knowledge about that, and this is, you know, stuff that you and I, you know, probably discussed many, many years ago, and it's, it's already happening, right? Yeah. Um, and then being being offered the opportunity uh, and seeing, you know, firsthand uh, in real time the ability to try and um, help put the company in a better position and help affect the, you know, the lives of humans in a better way. Those were kind. Those were the type of things that attracted to me, you know, attracted me to that role of, you know, enabling um, my part of the company and my part of Fordmont Company to um, be able to do do design and help design, uh, help use design to better needs and meet of our customers. Henry Ford changed how people lived and moved around by making cars affordable to the everyday person. And that purpose-led, mission-driven approach still exists today where the ultimate outcome of what Ford produces is around advancing humanity's well-being and pushing society forward for a greater good. Ford is a prime example of a creative leader in their time and field because he did things differently. He rejected failure and swam against the tide of adversity to break through the frontiers to provide novel solutions to complex problems that we didn't know existed. They dis he disrupted existing industries and created brand new worlds that became the, the, the norm. Ford revolutionized the automotive industry by making the assembly line produce affordable cars for the masses, which changed society and how we lived and worked by making it easier and more convenient to get around. And this helped the economy prosper by giving birth to many businesses and spin-off industries, which ultimately created thousands of new jobs. Many innovators are classic outsiders who disrupted, invented, and changed the faces of their industries forever, such as Ford, Andrew Carnegie, Disney, Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, Nikolai Tesla, and the Wright brothers, rose from obscurity to radically transform industry and how people lived. Creative leaders have confidence in their ideas and they never give up on bringing them to fruition. It means leading without frontiers by seeing around the corners and fearlessly navigating into the future. Absolutely, Roy. And I'm really pleased that you mentioned our founder, um, you know, Henry Ford. Um, you know, he did amazing things um, in his time. He was a visionary and he really... Um, he really, you know, didn't just go with the flow and think, you know, short term. And I'm, I'm going to drop a little fact on you, right? Um, yeah. That I found uh, found out not that long ago. Um, you know, from from those times, right? So the Model T price, right? The price of the Model T vehicle, which you know brought the highways to all of mankind uh, at the time, in in 1909, that that vehicle cost 950 dollars. Okay, in 1916, that price became 360 dollars. And then by 1926, they were retailing for $290. Wow. So, I mean, just think of the impact of that and what it enabled people to do, right, um, in terms of being able to get out there, having that freedom of movement. And, and our purpose has evolved with that, right? So, you know, our current purpose is to help build a better world where every person is free to move and pursue their dreams. And it's still in that same spirit of, of Henry Ford and what he was trying to capture of you know opening the highways to to all of mankind, but you know as as individuals and and as uh, uh, as people on this planet, right? Having 
you know, building a better world is so important and being able to, uh, being free to move and pursue our dreams as individuals and groups of people, that is also super important. And that's, that's what we're about now, right? And we, we, we're going to be doing that and, you know, we've adapted and um, changed some of our behaviors um, as a company, as, in, as employees to be able to do that. So, you know, we want to compete like a challenger. We want to modernize. We want to disrupt. And we want to do that um, whilst caring for each other within the company and our fellow human beings and, and, and for the world out there. It is a great time to be alive and a great time to be working on this stuff. Um, it's, it's very, very exciting. Um, and some of the stuff that we're working on um, and, and, you know, you'll, you'll see lots of uh, amazing press releases right now in terms of, and, and I'm sure we'll come on to discussions around, you know, electrification as we, as, and as we start to move more into an, an autonomous world, um, as we start to adapt our solutions to, you know, the needs, the needs of our customers um, and, and them, demanding from us what they need rather than us trying to predict what they need, um, which traditionally is what we've, what we've done. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a really exciting time to be working on this stuff. That in itself is a quantum shift from being a product led company, which Ford certainly was where their go to market strategy was much more aligned to being product push as opposed to where they're, they're moving towards now, which is much more, market pool and showing up where your customers are and understanding their needs and wants and then engineering back from that to then create products that they that they want and, and, and love. That combined with creating a brand where people connect emotionally by providing authentic, personalized and unique experiences. And that then generates brand love which is created by establishing trust and, and making people feel good, confident, and connected to something greater through the products, services, and experiences that you provide. Yeah, and I guess it's driven a lot from um, seeing seeing what what companies are doing that are being successful, right? And again, it boils, comes back to human-centered design. Yeah. Um, companies that are successful, they are going out there, they're listening to their customers, they're trying to understand their problems, they're trying to, and then they're addressing those and providing the right solutions, right? So, you know, a company uh, in the automotive space has to think, you know, traditionally five to seven years out, right, in terms of how long it takes to get um, from an idea to an actual vehicle out there on the roads. And it's an extremely long um, cycle of time that it takes to do that. Um, but consumer needs nowadays, you know, they don't, they don't, wait that long people want yeah. you know we've we're in that um we're in that um arena of instant gratification and if someone isn't addressing my needs now as a consumer well i'm not afraid to switch my allegiances you know if i'm an android user right and if apple gives me something better then i don't care that i've always been on android i will switch to an apple product right yeah um you know and, and consumers are not afraid to switch um, and, and, and that's what companies have realized. And those that haven't, you know, companies that didn't give their consumers what they needed or were a bit too dependent on their traditional um, profit base, you know, companies like Kodak, if you like, or Blockbuster Video that were too scared to adapt. Well, look, they're not around anymore, you know. So the consequences of not adapting and not giving consumers what they need are others will and your consumers will go to them and you will, you know, no one's got a right to exist just because we've been around for 118 years um, as a company. That doesn't give us a right to be around for another 118 years. We need to give our customers what they need. And that's what we focus on doing. That's a really good insight into Ford's cultural transformation. The Harvard Business Review published in July 2017 Digital transformation is racing ahead and no industry is immune. And the article claimed that research shows that since 2000, 52% of companies in the Fortune 500 have either gone bankrupt, been acquired, or ceased to exist as a result of digital transformation. The collision of the physical and digital worlds 
have affected every dimension of society, commerce, enterprises and individuals. And while many factors have contributed to these organisations' rise and fall, no one is immune. And also, philosophically, you know, art invents, science evolves, technologies improve, industries change, economics and politics adapt, society moves forward, and human life goes on, which underpins that we, we exist in time where change is, con- is constant. And if you don't adapt, then look out. So to adapt and grow and flourish, you need to keep your finger on the pulse of your market's ever-evolving needs and preferences so that you can make changes to your approach. The golden rule is to avoid the deadly sin of complacency and greed kicking in, like a debt that you can't cure, almost. And don't take the cowardly way and cave in or get conceited and arrogant and territorial. Instead, stand unshakenly aware and resilient by constantly keeping perspective, evolving and innovating. Why? Because in general, people are shiftless and self-gratifying. And as a result, the future will leave them behind. This is because they can self-destruct through excess and become victims of their own success by cultivating destructive habits and complacency and avoiding at all costs falling asleep at the wheel, getting permanently drunk on your own Kool-Aid, surrounding yourself with B and C players and getting lazy and bloated where you can't see the the, the wood from the trees and all the beasts of prey and ultimately making ego-based decisions. So look at other companies that kind of fall into that um, sphere, if you will. Xerox missed the opportunity because its self-inflicted mindset curtailed its ability to grow and evolve due to its inability to commercialize its products. Kodak's complacency from its dominance of the traditional photography market led to it missing the shift to online photo sharing. Blackberry sank from owning over half of the American and a fifth of the global smartphone market to now zero. Blockbuster used to monopolize the video rental market until Netflix disrupted it by adapting to customer needs and technological changes. And the learnings is having an effective strategy with a clear value proposition, understanding and adapting to market changes agilely and rigorously execute at speed. And it is is precisely the same in the creative arts. It's why art movements come and go. Fashions flash and burn, recycle, repackage, reissue, reevaluate the painting, the song, the film, the show, performance, event and satiate the audience. This is the lazy and habitual nature of human beings. We get consumed easily and bored quickly, and our minds simply are not big enough to consume and look beyond north, south, west, and east, 24 by seven, 365 days per year. Anyway, effective prioritization, being laser focused and disciplined on your execution are the keys to success. It is just as important to decide what you do not do as it is to what you do. Yeah, I mean, that's an astounding statistic that you mentioned there um, about, you know, uh, the the companies. And I think that pace is going to keep increasing. It might not be, we we might not need to look 50 years in the future. We might only need to look 10 years in the future, right? Or in the past, should I say. Um, And we'll see how rapidly, you know, there's new entrants that are coming in um, and they're, they're grabbing that market share. They're, being able to put products out there that meet people's needs and traditional companies, right, have have disappeared because they weren't willing or able to adapt quickly enough. Exactly. Hey, you mentioned the, the people-centered design-based approach. Is that the the approach that you use for your for how you can design like products and services and your your approach for creativity at Ford in terms of how you dream up new ideas, turn those ideas into concepts and then bring those concepts to, to actualization? I'm not sure what I would call our approach, um, but, it, you know, it is a human-centered design approach, right? And, you know, according to Don Norman, uh, the, the, the godfather of um, uh, human-centered design, the, the process really starts with a good understanding of people um, and then the needs that the design is intended to meet. So, you know, most of our designers, and uh, in common with the industry out there, right, um, you know, we, we follow the design double diamond, right? And the first first diamond is like design the right thing 
And the second element is um, designing things right, right? So right at the start, you've got, you know, what's the problem, right? Let's go out there. Let's talk to people. It might be in person. It might be a questionnaire. It might be virtually. And let's really get to, you know, that discover phase where we get the insight into the problem, right? And, you know, if that, at that point, the diamond is diverging, right? Where we're, we're opening up, right? And it's really getting into the customer's head and trying to, you know, not what do you need, but what are your problems? How, you know, what are the things that, you know, are causing you pain when you, and it could be a new new solution, right? It could be exploring, completely exploratory, or it could be, well, when you use this product or service, what are the problems that you have with it? And then as we kind of move out of that discovery phase, we start to synthesize, we start to think about, well, you know, what's, What's the area that we need to focus on, right? So we explore, we define things, um, we scope down the focus, we we think about, you know, what are the insights we get in here? What are the themes? What are the areas of opportunity um, that we can kind of try to kind of, it's still unstructured research, right? But it starts to get more structured as, as we kind of converge and get to the end of that phase. And when we reach the end of that, you know, first diamond, that's really when we kind of got to the problem definition. We've got a really good understanding of what the problem is for the consumer, right? Um, and what are the prob- you know, what is that problem that we as a team need to go in and address? Um, and then that's when we start our ideation, right? So we're now we've come out of the research phase and we're now in the design phase, right? So we go into that looking at um, developing and testing potential solutions, maybe creating some mock-ups, some prototypes. And, and they could be really rudimentary, right? They could be, you know, paper prototypes, you know, cardboard mock-ups, whatever you want to call it. And, and this is a thing that companies need to, and individuals need to understand, right? That working on these solutions is, this, this is not high tech. This is not necessarily needing millions of pounds or dollars to, to do this stuff, right? This is, you know, quite basic processes. We're talking Sharpies. We're talking, yeah. um, you know, post-it notes. We're talking um, paper prototypes, right? And going through that um, ideation phase, coming up with those potential solutions, um, putting those ideas out there. You know, there's no such thing as a silly idea. Doing things like crazy eights and just spending a short amount of time to come up with really crazy ideas that will help um, to meet the, the needs of whatever that problem might be. And then moving into that delivery and implementation phase, trying to figure out what are the solutions that that will work, right? Using those paper prototypes, taking them back to the the customers, right? The consumers and saying, what do you think of this? Let's walk through this process and this solution. What do you think that is? How how does that meet your needs? Taking that feedback, I mean, this is really, it really is an iterative process, right? So taking that feedback, working it into the next prototypes, whether that's another, you know, pro, low, uh, low level prototype, is it, um, you know, it could be low fidelity. That's what I meant to say, right? Um, we're not talking about designing screens, designing apps, designing the final solutions or anything near it, but just continuously listening, iterating, taking those new ideas on board, right? Because we're now going to spark thoughts within the customer themselves and, you know, really developing and, and, and continuing to iterate till we start to develop, you know, maybe a mid-fidelity or a higher fidelity solution. And and that, you know, that process, that that design double diamond and really getting to the heart of what the problem is, defining that problem clearly, and then working on solutions that um, address that problem and continuously iterating with with the source, with with the consumer at the heart of it. That's that's how we're going about and, and trying to um, provide those solutions and products and services that our customers out there need. Purpose, autonomy, and mastery are what people need to optimize their creativity. You need to think with your own mind, feel with your own heart, and create with your own hands. Strive for simplicity to remove inefficiency, never to complicate. Design for people, not machines. Know what technology can enable, and that there are times and places where technology is not the right answer. Love paper, pen and whiteboards because they are a blank canvas, which is the most powerful tool. And that's one of the the components that really stood out within your creative process there, is getting back to that primal 
feeling of what it means to be a human and to create in that raw sensibility. Seek freedom, not compliance, and respect standards, but thrive by breaking the rules to find and realize the best solution to the problem. Invent, make mistakes, improve, seek excellence, and reject conformity and mediocrity. The other thing as well that I would like to see a lot more of, Gulam, is we've spent a lot of time as, as humans of applying technology in a way that it replaces the work that humans do. And I get there's been a lot of good in that, but there's also been a lot of disadvantage in that. But most importantly, I'd like to start seeing people and companies using technology to do things that humans can't. So for example, the car is a great example of that. What the Wright brothers did with aviation and created the aeroplane are prime examples of things that humans can't physically do, but it's creating something to the world, but it's improving humans' life, and also it's taking society forward in a very po in a positive way. Yeah, ab absolutely. I mean, how long does it take, right, to fold a piece of paper so you fold it twice and you've got eight squares? Now come up with eight eight ideas in two minutes, right? Exactly. Everyone can do that, you know. Uh, and there's no there's no judgment. There's no such thing as a silly idea. Yeah. Um, that's that's amazing and. That's, that's what we all need to do, you know, in all parts of our lives, not, not just at work. From your experience, Gulam, what are the key skills needed to survive and thrive in product design? Communication is the most important to survive and thrive as a product designer, as a leader, as, as a team member, right, working on these type of solutions. And, and within communication specifically, it's listening, right? It's not about, it's not about, verbalizing and talking about what we, we you know we're going to do this and we're going to do that and you know the process that you know uh, we, we, we've just been talking about the the design double time and at the heart of that is is the customer and getting to the root of the problem so listening is very very important and it's listening to what people say and it's also listening to what people don't say right yeah um that's so important and you know how just how being being curious, having that sort of inquisitive mindset, um, having a passion for uh, understanding customer needs, um, appreciating the subtleties um, of, of the way that someone's expressing themselves, um, appreciating the subtleties of um, the, the product or the area itself that, that's being explored. Um, I think those are some of the key skills, and you know, I'd be interested to hear from you. Um, you know, if you agree with me on that, or if 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 you think that there might be, you know, other things, um, you know, based on some of the other guests that you've had. Communication is the most important of all life skills for a human. It's what we do as humans, and so effective communication enables us to pass on knowledge and information to other people and for them to understand what is said and communicated. And in its simplest form, it's the act of, of transferring or translating information from one person to another, from one place to another. And within that as well, the, the, the tone as well, and the style and the clarity that needs to be conveyed within communication is, is really critical, combined with the energy, enthusiasm that should be generated to drive work um, and business kind of forward and reaching the desired outcomes. So communicating helps people to express their ideas and feelings. And at the same time, it helps us understand our, our emotions, our thoughts, and simply just to connect with one another and to ultimately get work done. One of the things that people kind of forget or they have that misconception, and maybe I have that misconception too, right? When it's specifically when it comes to design, right? Whether it's product design, service design, industrial design, all, all of these things, you're fulfilling a need, right? And yeah. you know, you could have a very blinkered view and say, well, hey, design is just, you know, that that person over there sitting on their MacBook um, with with their you know, software, you know, with their Figma or their sketch and designing away and making, you know, uh, the, the colors and the fonts and the screen look really, really beautiful. But there's a whole process, you know, that, yeah. that gets to that point, right? And being part of that process, you can't, you know, you can't do any of those things that lead up to um, that 
eventually designing you know a screen or a product or a mobile app screen um, without having to go through that process which meant that you had to communicate you may have had to um, speak to someone on a one-to-one basis you may have had to run a workshop um, but it's all it's all input and it's collaboration and all of you know getting that to happen is great communication and, and listening and you know, being being open and encouraging others to be open as well to express themselves and, and and not be shy about actually, you know, this this isn't you know fulfilling my needs. I, I need something different. I need something that works in a certain way or makes me feel a certain way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think on that, you know, like feel a certain way. You know, like so things like aesthetics is so important, right? In terms of how does it connect with people's emotions and how does it make them feel? And when you go through pretty much everything in in life, Gulam, right? Everything that you you get up in the morning and, you know, your alarm clock wakens you up. And then from that moment on, through the through the time you go back to bed at night, you're ex, you are experiencing aesthetics, whether it's an alarm clock, um, a bathroom, a car, um, a, a, a poster, a, a, a billboard. Um, does someone have their grass cut or they don't? Is the window smashed in a bus stop shelter? Oh, that's really intimidating. It's it's making me feel quite angry. Or all of those things matter, and it builds up to how a person feels in any given kind of day. And so, aesthetics in terms of the the attention to detail and the impact of what a color, a type, an image will impact upon a person within a day, can, depending on that state of mind of the person, can have quite extreme effects. And so I think it's a really important capability to, to acquire is, is aesthetics. And it, that doesn't just mean being a designer, being an artist. It, it, it involves anything that you're involved in making or, or, or um, creating. Um, it will inevitably have an aesthetic Im- impact of, of, of sorts on a person. And so being empathetic to, to that is, is, is really important. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. Empathy um, and putting yourself in that person's place, yeah. understanding things from their perspective, that's such an important part of this process. And um, you can really tell when a company has or an organization has really put themselves in their users or their customer's place. Um to, to, you know, in, in terms of the experience or the product that they end up with, it's it's very, very easy to see, you know, the companies are being successful and that are disrupting the, you know, causing disruption out there uh, in, in their particular industry. And they could be a new entrant or they could be an established um, already in that industry. It's really clear to see why some companies are doing better than others. Completely. That, that's an interesting point because, the world has became so much more socially conscious and quite rightly so. And especially the Gen Wires and even by interviewing candidates, Gulam, they ask questions around what's your perspective on globalization, the carbon footprint on um, carbon, you know, carbon emissions and asking all of these like fantastic questions, but they're not just saying it to try and sound in vogue. They deeply mean it and they're making decisions career-based decisions based on whether their values connect with these kind of companies or or the people that they want to be associated with and, and work with. And I think that's a great thing, you know. And I think the companies that truly and authentically embrace diversity and difference are the ones that are, like you say, that they're doing well. Because at the end of the day, they care about people, they care about society, and they care about doing the right thing, you know. Um, and they're not obsessed with wealth and greed, um, they're, they're they're obsessed with d- contributing something meaningful to society in, in the right ethical way. When we worked together in our mid twenties, Gulam, I learned a lot from you, especially in terms of embracing diversity in a way that helps us understand each other and ourselves by recognizing and respecting individual differences in gender, sexual orientation, race ethnicity, religious and political beliefs, and other ideologies, and that they need to be the norm and accepted without question. And when people feel included, they build meaningful social relationships, have a stronger sense of belonging, and ultimately it inspires creativity and innovation in themselves and others. And I learned that the more you interact and collaborate 
with people from different cultural backgrounds, disciplines, industries, and geographies, the more you understand, respect, and value them, and the more enriched and fulfilled your life experience becomes. We all benefit from learning from others. Thank you. And no, I really appreciate that. And it's kind of the look of the draw, isn't it? You know, in terms of who we, int- who we end up working um, for, who we end up working with as our, as our yeah. colleagues or other people who we interact with. And, you know, likewise, um, it was an amazing time. And working, working with you at that time, it really, you know, my, my views could be quite blinkered in terms of, you know, doing things in a set way. And um, I've always done things in this way. And, you know, I, I may have been less... Um, likely to kind of think thinking of doing things differently in an open-minded way and that's that's something that I would definitely say rubbed off you know from working with you in terms of well let's be ambitious let's let's um, think of the bigger picture let's not necessarily think of the set ways of doing things or or the rules if you like even um, and and think bigger than that what are we really trying to achieve here and and what what could we do you know what could we actually do if, if we really put our minds to it so you know that that one's you know kudos to you, Roy, for for you know helping put those seeds into uh, into my mind as well. Thank you, but I honestly didn't mean to. I tend to do things because I have the inclination to just do them, and then understand why I did them after. So let's face it, that was such an inspiring time and age, and we immersed ourselves in the future by anticipating what the future could be and how technology could be used to enable what we were trying to create. And we were forever crossing the frontiers of many disciplines and places to ultimately just seek inspiration and get new ideas. We were obviously lucky to to live in London and have access to such inspiration and great reference points right at our finger points And like just taking those whimsical day trips to the Tate Museum, the BBC, to startups, to tech companies, to Cambridge University, Loughborough University, which all of which was a catalyst for inspiring um, our innovation and creativity because you're experiencing different cultures, different perspectives, gaining diverse insight across multiple experiences, which really forced us to depart from the familiar and take on a whole new world of experiences and ultimately gaining a more integrative worldview. And it was such an extraordinary project to be involved in where we were helping build a revolutionary engineering and manufacturing centre that included research, skills and education training, startup business incubation and acceleration, combined with just working with great people And our management team at that point as well, when I look back now, and this was about 20 years ago, they still remain to be the best unit from a management perspective that I've had the pleasure of working with. And ultimately, the fundamental job of management is to remove the barriers to let great work happen. And we had that in abundance and felt really empowered and supported from our management. So John Talbot, and Richard Thwaite, who was the then CIO of Ford of Europe at the time, and also Sean McElveen, who was the the Chief People Officer of Ford Britain. And all three of them, in their own unique way, inspired, empowered, and stimulated us to achieve the unexpected and exceed the normal performance levels. Sean was like a Bill Shankly type in his ideals and was a first-rate communicator and motivator, although he'll probably get pissed off at me for that reference, given he's a Sheffield Wednesday fan. And kudos to the core team that we helped build there in Brandon Adams, Gavin Phillips, AJ Pamnesia, and Chris George. Yeah, it was a really um, interesting period of time you know, in my career and in my life as well. Um, I would say one of the biggest things was you know, the excitement of, we're on a, a brownfield site here, you know, or a greenfield site, whatever. Bloody you hell, I haven't, had, I haven't had that time since <laughs> 2003. Blind me. Do you know what I mean, right? But we're literally starting with zero, right? Yeah. The, the ground's been prepared. Um, we've got a vision in terms of what the structure could look like. But, you know, it, it's open, you know. What, what are the requirements? What are we trying to build here? What are we, what are we trying to 
Um, the experience that we're trying to create for our students, what's it going to be like? And what can we do to impact that in terms of um, the curriculum that's taught, in terms of what they'll be doing on a day-to-day -day basis? And, you know, those students were going to be doing some classroom learning, and then they were going to be working in the workshop areas as well, working on vehicles, working on on, on products um, to, to learn certain skills as well, right? And, and the real challenge that we had at the time was, you know, how can we make the technology work um, to best meet their needs? So, you know, um, and, and best meet the needs of the people working in that organization. So, you know, thinking thinking of things like using interactive smart boards in classrooms at the time, you know, those are very common now, but they weren't that common then, you know. Um, that was revolutionary, you know, at the time in terms of, you know, using that in an interactive way, letting students and the lecturers interact with with, with those screens and being able to save that output for them to take it away, for them to not have to, you know, take lots of notes, right? Yeah. Um, so that that was revolutionary. But the technology itself, you know, I think we did the first voice over IP implementation uh, within Ford at the time. That's right. You know, yeah. Moving away from our traditional phones to to, to VoIP phones and um, all of the advantages that that, that gave to us uh, as well. So, yeah, it was just being able to think freely, not being constrained by the technology, but more using the technology as an enabler. Compelling visions draw people in and high-performing teams are self-organizing. The performance emerges from the experts' joint actions within the project. They share a vision and commitment to the mission at hand. People who have the expertise and passion will step up at the right time in the creative process to lead and drive the completion of their respective input and add value to the team and solution. And so the creative atmosphere cultivated provides autonomy and space and it generates energy and success within that because there's a liberal, inclusive and meritocratic culture that stemmed from that, yet it's entirely focused and motivated to expedite the mission at hand. Fostering the right creative culture means having a strong sense of acceptance, belonging, and connection to a greater purpose and whole. You feel safe, valued, and empowered with ownership of what you do and how you do it, which was an evergreen moment, a staple in our careers, where all the stars just seemed to, to align. But make no mistake, there was tons of adversity and constant swimming against the, the, the tide, which was fantastic because what we were really doing, and we probably didn't realise this so much at the time, is there was no blueprint that we were able to reference and, and truly follow because we were breaking the mould by creating our own. But the output of that, that became a benchmark for success that you start to then see similar establishments emerge, not just within the UK, but across Europe and also into the US. It was definitely that. I mean, if you think about you know, who, who, who we were working together with, right, we, we had our sales Ford Motor Company, right? And we had this vision of creating a really modern and um, um, you know, a modern and um, center, you know, modern and fulfilling in terms of the requirements of yeah. our apprentices, the people that were going to learn there, right? Um, so fit for purpose, that's the word I was looking for. Yeah. Um, you know, um, experience, um, in terms of a teaching establishment and learning establishment, but you know the partners we worked with in terms of um, you know our own our own organisation and having the backing of Ford um, Ford IT, the amazing leaders that you've described, I totally agree. Um, but working with some of our partners, right? You know, like Microsoft, like Cisco, um, and many others who I'm going to forget right now, um, and just being really you know unconstrained and. You know what? What are some of the things that we might not traditionally have done that we could we could do here? Um, what are some of those? You know, obviously the colleges themselves, right? That were that were going to be teaching there, um, and working with them and trying to understand what what are the things that you really need to make your life easier and to make teaching more effective for you as uh, as a, as an educational establishment and you know what will help your learners to to do better and and putting all of that learning and requirements into place in terms of what we eventually delivered. Um, yeah, it was amazing. Upon reflection, Gulam, what are your lessons learned in terms of the pitfalls to avoid and the keys to success as a product design leader? I would say, again, it, you know, we're talking about designers here. Um, 
but it would be in common with a lot of uh, other other roles. Um, it always comes down to the customer, right? Listen to the customer. And when you're not listening to the customer or if you're negatively being influenced and, you know, in, in terms of what I've been talking about and what we've been discussing, right? Um, we haven't really kind of touched on, well, what are some of the distractions that can happen, right? And sometimes the distractions that can happen, it could be the organization itself. It could be people within the organization saying, oh, we, th- we think we should do this. And that's like jumping ahead to the solution yeah. before you've even had the problem definition phase, right? Um, before you've even talked to the consumer who might be uh, a user of that product, um, one of you know one of the biggest pitfalls that can happen in organisations is having um, preempting ideas, right? And 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 um, people who don't have that customer insight putting themselves in that place and saying, "Well, I have an idea, and I think we should do it this way," and. You know, the, the thing that we constantly have to do on a day-to-day basis when that happens is to kind of then bring it back and say, well, what is the consumer insight that this is trying to address? What's the problem that we're trying to address here? And if there isn't one, we, we've, we've got to ignore is a strong word, but we've got to kind of put ourselves back in that uh, mindset and say, well, let's go and ask the customers, right? And maybe it's something that is worth exploring because we do have we do have intelligent insights and experience from within our organization or within our project project team. And we might have a really amazing idea um, that we need to explore, but let's go back and let's talk to the customers. Let's put ourselves um, with them and ask them in a way to um, see if that's something that they want us to explore if, or if that's something that resonates with them. So I think that's really important. Gulam, I, I really wanted to spend a little bit of time exploring your past in terms of you grew up in the northwest of England, you studied in Manchester, and Manchester in particular holds a special place in my um, heart and especially around kind of music and what that's kind of brought to the world and also just being an industrial city and being the birthplace of the industrial revolution and where Alan Turin invented the computer it was the main driving force behind the British indie music movement in the 1980s and obviously the Manchester scene. But the bottom line is, even to this date, Manchester still has this swagger and attitude and a maker-endure ethos that just seems to be ingrained within its 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 ecosystem and culture and DNA. You know, I love the way you've described it. And, and you know, it does have that rich history, you know, from, you know, almost being the center of the world at one point, you know, for, for yeah. certain industries like the textile industry um, and, and certain other industries out there. Um, having that history, the, the way that the city came about and the way that it's structured with, you know, with the canals to, to support the city um, and, and, and transportation, um, trams, you know, the, the connections yeah. with the rest of the, the UK and the rest of the world and um, the, the, the migration of people that, that came there, as, you know, to um, help fulfill their, you know, uh, their needs and fulfill the needs of um, what was being produced there and, and the needs of the economy. So, yeah, it was, it was a really amazing place. You know, I, I arrived in um, Manchester in 19... 1994, I think it was, yeah. Um, and, yeah, the music scene, um, the artistic scene, it, it was just one of those places, like, when I visited, right, um, because I, I, I wanted to go to university in an area that was vibrant and, and, and happening, and, you know, you just got that feeling when you came to Manchester that it was it was one of those places that you wanted to be, you wanted to be a part of that, um, you know, and and part of that, you know, historical kind of scene around, you know, Manchester and, and the Hacienda nightclub and the Stone Roses, the Happy Mondays and New Order and a lot of that stuff had kind of um, happened or, you know, what was happening. And I think there was a film about that 24-hour party, people. That That's goes right. into a lot yeah. of that detail. Um, and, you know, totally recommend that people should watch that if they want to put themselves back in that time. Um but you know, even in terms of like the the urban music scene, right? Thinking of you know hip hop music and jungle, um, and and how that was developing at the time, and, and the Asian the Bangra scene, um, yeah, it was an amazing um, 
point of time in, in terms of being there and you had to be there to experience it. And, and yeah, definitely if I had a time machine, um, it'd be a time that I would want to go back to um, and, and, and see and explore things in, in even more detail, right? And it's, it's not a mistake or it's not coincidental that there's a number of universities, right, that are in that, are in, um, that locality. You know, you've got, you've got Manchester University, you've got UMIST, you've got Manchester Metropolitan, you've got Salford University where I attended. Um, and that's bringing people not just from around the UK, but it's bringing people from around the world, right? And, and you tend to find that, you know, when there's people coming in um, from around the world, for a common purpose, you know, whether it's to learn or be artists or to make music, well, that's when the magic happens, you know. Um, and so it really was, you know, a cultural, you know, if you think about the foods um, that those people brought, the experiences that they brought, um, the music that they brought with them. Um, and, you know, we, that's not that's putting, you know, to one side, the, you know, the great kind of sporting um, history. and. Yeah, um, uh, and, and, and what happens around um, around sports still on a daily, you know, on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, and what what that brings into the city? Yeah, it was it was it was amazing, and you know, there were so many, you know, music venues uh, affiliated to the universities or, or generally out there that you know had their own kind of genres, attracted unsigned artists um, for people to perform in for anyone that wanted to make music or. Um, share their culture with others, you know, whether it's theater, comedy, music, whatever, right? It gave people the ability to do that. And it's still so vibrant and interesting and continues to develop, you know, through to this day, putting myself back there now, right? Um, <laughs> from, from, the, from my perspective of, you know, I was born in Pakistan. I grew up in, in, in Yorkshire. I'd spent the majority of my life there, right? And then coming into somewhere like Manchester, that was totally different. And seeing that kaleidoscope of, colors you know visually the, yeah. the smells the sights the sounds um yeah it was it was totally different it was out there it was amazing somewhere within your story there gulam you provided a nod towards having a time machine so let's just say you do have that and it's moving forward as opposed to backward now what's your vision for the future of product design especially within the car industry and i guess you know if research comes to fruition, over 50% of the cars in the next 20 to 30 years will be electric and will disrupt and significantly reduce the need for oil, is one example. So as we envision the, the future car, the signposts point toward electric, autonomous and connected vehicles, empathetic to benefiting society with improved safety, less pollution, freeing up time and customised services and experiences through intelligent technologies. And again, back to our point at the beginning around when you look back at history and even like modern history, how so few companies survive without embracing both radical and incremental innovation. And it's not just within business. Every successful artist, entrepreneur, needs to innovate continuously or risk being surpassed by competition in the long term. What's your vision for the future, Gulam? We've talked about aesthetics, you know, during this conversation. People do think about that. It's not just about function um, and doing things. You know, we need something to do X, Y, or Z, right? But it's to do it in the best, best way. It needs to fulfill its function, but it needs to be aesthetically pleasing um, as well. Right. And aesthetics isn't just things that you can touch and feel. It's things that you can, you know, interact with. It's things that you can see on the screen. Right. So I think that's going to continue to evolve. The devices that we interact with in the future will be different to devices right, right now. You know, right now, a lot of our interactions are with a mobile phone um, or, or with, let's say, a device like a, a wearable, uh, like a watch. But who knows what those devices will be in the future? Um, because it will continue to evolve and, and change. Um, so the form factors will change, but I think the desire to fulfill whatever those needs are of those human beings at that time, I think that's what's going to be exciting. Um, and if you bring that to uh, the automotive industry, I think, you know, we've already talked about how people's needs are evolving. You know, we've talked about those mega trends and the things that they will 
lead up to. So, you know, surely the future is going to be one that's autonomous. It's going to be um, a much greener future in terms of how how those um, uh, automotive um, devices, if you like, are going to be powered. Um, that's that's going to be, you know, a very interesting evolution. Um, and, you know, how will we um, use those, use those um, uh, modes of transport and and they will be multimodal, you know. That's that's for sure. You know, we will. We're already doing this. We're already taking into account the different types of, you know, um, transport we might use for a particular journey. If I wanted to travel into the centre of London, I can go outside. I can use my app and I can rent a rent a spin scooter. Um, th- this is one of um, Ford's companies that um, that that you know is providing. Um, legal uh, scooter, electric scooter services out there. I can take that scooter to the station. I can hop on a train. Uh, depending on where I want to go into London, I might use tubes. I might use a boat. Um, and, that, and that's going to evolve, right? Um, when the fact that we might not necessarily need to own a vehicle in the future happens, that might encourage you know different behaviors in terms of how we interact with the, with the modes of transport. Do we even need to own something? You know, might it be a subscription model instead? And, and that's what we're doing. You know, uh, with a lot, lots of parts of our, our lives. So, you know, right now we subscribe to things, uh, products that we buy on a regular basis, whether it's through Amazon, um, whether it's through the the pods that we buy for our coffee machines. Um, it's you know possible that the the way that we use transportation services in the future that might be more of a uh, subscription. And it might not just be a subscription for a car. It might be an all-encompassing subscription that covers whatever mode of transport that we might need to use on a daily, weekly, monthly, or, or yearly basis, right? And, you know, just just what's happened in the last 18 months in terms of the pandemic has showed us how much we've needed to adapt our behaviors, um, what we're doing on a day-to-day basis, you know, we're not commuting to a workplace every single day that we used to, like like we used to, and I don't think we'll ever go back to that. I don't think we'll completely work from home um, either, but we'll be some we'll be somewhere in the middle, dependent on the needs of our day and the, and the needs of the work at the time. So, I think those things will also help shape consumer behaviours. But I think above all, um, when it comes to product design and automotive solutions in the future the companies that are going to succeed are the ones that are going to be listening to their customers observing the trends that are happening and and providing the best solutions to make people's lives easier and 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 better you know we are going to be a more aged population um generally you know uh, in the future so the needs of that population are going to be different to the needs of a population that has um a lot of young people in it um right now Young people and children of this revolution are the canvas onto which our values will be imprinted and shaped. Seamlessly woven into this is the responsibility to pass the baton by leaving the world better than we inherited it. Our next generation needs to be nurtured by being committed not to repeating previous generations' mistakes. It is important to be socially conscious self-confident, achievement-oriented, ambitious, technologically sophisticated, inquisitive, and driven to demand that those with authority accept responsibility and accountability. But above all, future generations should question explanations like, because this is a way it has always been done, and ask, but is this the best way it can be done? Algorithmatic thinking, computational thinking, judgment, decision-making, emotional and social intelligence, critical thinking, problem-solving, and having a creative and innovative mindset will continue to be more critical than ever. The types of um, people that are going to help organizations really succeed in the future, you know, we've, we've touched on design, right? We know that designers are going to be instrumental. Um, but there's also another kind of person, right? And, and that's software engineers. You know, they're, they're the ones out there translating a lot of what designers learn about, you know, the consumer insights they get. Um, they capture what the needs are of what, what what product needs to be created. And it's really software engineers that are helping to code that and actually turn it into a product, working side by side. You know, it's not a case of designers throwing over designs and, and, and coders, you know, doing doing the same. 
they're working hand hand in hand on a daily basis to create those meaningful products that people need. You know, everything that we touch and use on a day-to-day basis, whether it's an app on our phone, something that we're interacting with on, on our TV or a digital TV service, um, a, a bus stop, you know, with an interactive sign. Well, a designer has worked on it and software engineers have worked on that hand in hand. So, you know, I, I'd go so far as to say that the people who are going to be leading companies in the future are going to be, you know, the designers of now, um, the software engineers of now. Um, if you think about some of the leaders in, in the companies that are doing amazingly well, publicly um, succeeding um, and have got huge visions, um, well, a lot of those people have come from a software engineering or a design background. Just how soon is the future? One thing for sure is the future is unwritten and everything is possible. You have been listening to the Unknown Origins podcast. Please follow, subscribe, rate and review us. For more information, go to unknownorigins.com. Thank you for listening.